0: Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode, will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself, or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game so sit back relax and join us on a journey of startup stories hello Sven welcome to the startup stories podcast nice to have you hi Jordan thank you so much looking forward to this my pleasure looking forward to uncovering you know what you've been doing at Halitus Uh, but for those that will be listening could you give them a, a brief introduction into who you are and what you do
1: of course. So, medical doctor originally um worked clinically for uh, a couple of years in internal medicine, then uh, lung diseases within that, a good year of oncology and then a good year of emergency medicine. and um and then I went into the digital health space, um mostly doing what's called corporate venture building, um and now on the advisory board of Speed Invest, which is a VC fund a couple of startups um, and have my own company where we're trying to build a device that aspires to
0: detect diseases in the breath amazing thank you very much Sven so i had a look at your profile uh, we've but- obviously talked as well you've got yeah. quite an extensive background but uh you know it doesn't really tell me who you are and how you got there so what i like to do is run it back um what do i need to know about you to understand who Sven is today. Oh, interesting. I mean, uh, so I think today what
1: I try to be is try to be a bridge between different um, uh, fields. So uh, the problem you have with medicine is that it is quite complex, right? So it has, first there's the science behind it, which you need to understand. Then there's a cultural component of how, you know, the medical world, the medical community operates. And then you have a market that is very different from what we know from most other industries where you have a payer, provider, patient, uh, producers, and then it's a different ecosystem, highly regulated and so on. Um, and so that's one world that I come from that I know quite intimately. And then there's this other world of you know the, the techies who know how to build great stuff, but they need to know what are the right things to build and, and where will they not succeed most likely. And then you have that business world that needs to make sure that you know all of this is kind of creating delightful experiences that it uh you know has a monetary value that allows you to to keep growing and so on and sort of i've i often see myself at the intersection between these three worlds um there are certainly people who are better at all of these individually but i'm the one who can bring them together and make sure that, that it
0: works smoothly amazing sven so Take me back to your childhood then, where did that all began? All begin?
1: So um, born in Germany, very close to the French border in an area that used to belong to France every once in a while, uh, was independent in between and uh, still is really proud sort of a, well, its French heritage and I had in Germany as a German child, I had my whole schooling in French uh, with one hour of German as a foreign language from second grade on uh, per week, um and so I and most of my friends in childhood were French, and so on so i I felt quite French, although I'm very German um, and yeah, that's where I spent most of my childhood. Uh, eventually, we discovered some distant relatives in the u s and California um spent a lot of time there in my summers when I was a teenager, which really shaped me so I think I benefited a lot from this sort of Californian American spirit, um, and yeah, so that I don't know childhood and uh, and
0: and teenies. Yeah, it, it, you say it shaped you. In what way did it shape you? The US, um,
1: well, so I'm, I can just talk for my personal experience. Right? I don't want to generalize for my for my country or anything, but. I felt like uh, the way I've been brought up to think in in Germany was always, um, you know, don't stick your head up too high, Uh, don't think too much that sort of, I don't know, you're special or anything, just keep it humble. Uh, Pride is something that's considered to be uh, potentially dangerous and so on. Um, And sort of a lot of these things that made me feel like I need to keep myself small. (laughs) <laughs> and when I was in the U.S., I felt like people are very open to sort of seeing a lot of positive things, a lot of potential in others, bringing that forward, um, being really great sort of conversationalists, small talkers, creating rapport with other people, even at a gas station and so on. And and it's sort of a, a stronger sense of like a positive community, even with strangers, which I have not experienced in that sense back home. And and it always was difficult for me to come back because then I felt like okay now everything is toned down again um and yeah I I guess in in one way it it made it more made it easier for me to um engage with with strangers uh which had a tremendous impact on my life Mm -hmm. and then also um it kind of made me want to dare to think bigger than I probably otherwise would have
0: yeah that's very interesting and uh like you say, if you were to st- stick to your uh traditional location roots then you may not have been that way and that left led the path that you led which is very interesting i was actually going to ask a similar question like you know what's been uh you know from your childhood what's been the the biggest most uh impactful pivotal moment that happened to you during your Clearly. early years
1: good one i, I like how you f- go about this i mean i think um growing up Biculturally or triculturally, or I don't know, in any way, sort of being exposed to different cultures intimately, I think um, uh, makes you realize that people might take one way of living, of thinking, of arguing, of interacting for granted. But then you realize there's a there's a very natural way of doing it in a very different way, and everybody also sees that as a common truth, right? And it kind of works just as much. It feels different, maybe, but you realize that there are different ways to see the same kind of surrounding, the same truth. And I believe if you want to be an entrepreneur, um, that's a really important thing to have, that that it is self-evident to you that things don't have to be self-evident even though the collective group might be thinking so, right? And, and to just also think about, okay, what if it would be different? And to normalize that thought and to imagine that maybe it is already different somewhere else and it is already normal in a different way elsewhere. Um, makes it easier to reshape things or to put things into question. Mm-hmm.
0: When we're, we're growing up, like many people or most people, there's always one particular figure that uh, had the biggest influence on who they are today. When when I put that into your mind, can you think of anyone? So that's I think that's a uh,
1: really strong question. I remember that we uh, we had a. Um, uh, drawing classes once a, once a week, and at some point we had an exercise where we had to, were supposed to paint our idol and and i didn 't have one and the teacher was really disappointed he said like how how can you live without having somebody you look up to and and i didn 't know the answer and frankly i just i, I took gandhi i i didn 't know the guy I just knew some important, important yeah. Like, he's going to be happy with that and so i i went to him and and that was okay I got a good grade and so on and and I, I think i never had any influential person that that i aspire to until my mid or late 20s and only then did i start to see the value of that and frankly i would have wished that i would have understood what that teacher was trying to tell me or that i didn't even need him to tell me that because i see very very great value in this um And I think it started with me meeting truly impressive people um, personally so that I could really relate to them and really understand them better. Um, Some of them are famous, some of them, not so much, but very influential. Um, And and once that became more relatable, I started to be more influenced by people that I even haven't met just by watching them or reading about them, because then I have more of an idea of, like it's more palpable
0: all of a sudden, right? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess, uh, as much as you'd like to have known, then there isn't really yeah. a time frame, and, it, and everything happens for a reason. Yeah, yeah. So that's very interesting. Um, so, sort of elaborating on that point, then, in terms of inspiration or the way that you are, uh, was the entrepreneurial spirit was that always in you by default, or do you think that sort of became an adaptation to your life later on
1: uh, f- um so i think wanting to be an entrepreneur was a late discovery being entrepreneurial was something that was always with me i didn't know it was yeah um and so my first career was in the airborne infantry uh becoming a an, uh, an reservist officer was thinking about doing that full-time all my life uh just wearing a face mask and then not taking doors anymore as much as possible, but rather windows <laughs> uh, <laughs> into buildings and all of this um, and but there you have to be very entrepreneurial, really, because you you're faced with a challenge with a lot of uncertainty with very high stakes, um, you're under a lot of pressure, and you have to make uh well, you know clever decisions and constantly learn and grow on the back of it, and yeah, I mean I think there were moments where I I found solutions that were non-obvious to others that they quite appreciated uh, for, I don't know, certain problems. Um, But I wouldn't see that as entrepreneurial. I thought this is just military tactics and intuition and so on. And I had some mentors in there that had like these strong creative minds uh, outsmarting others and so on. And um, I was quite impressed with that. And I often kind of see myself in these shoes back in the day again and it kind of feels like a situation that I'm in right now as an entrepreneur. And the other component is also, as an entrepreneur, you typically you face an ocean of rejection. So constantly you're being told like, this is stupid, you're being criticized, you're being judged constantly, constantly. Um, and eventually there will be success, but it's somewhere in the future. And you kind of play it beautifully all the time, but if you don't score in the end, you just don't score, right? It's, it's a, it, it ends up being uh, a fairly binary outcome independent of how many good things you did in between and that's similar in the in, in the military, right? So, You can win, you can sneak, you can do everything really smart, but in the end it's a fairly binary outcome whether you win or not. Um, and then also this, I remember walking through the nights with my troops and I frankly, I was lost. I didn't know where we had to go. I just knew there was a hill over there that we needed to get to. The team was completely demoralized and exhausted and then i just said guys we just have to keep putting one foot after the other just keep marching forward and eventually we'll get there we got there um and often i I, that's the sentiment is still there and so Mm -hmm. i feel like i just need to put one foot after the next there's another day where i can move forward and, and hopefully eventually i will be there um that's i think that's that's one component um and then in the medical studies, I quickly felt bored. I mean, it, it's hard. It's it's intellectually challenging and everything. Um, but I felt like it lacks creativity, right? All you do most of the time is you memorize things and you need to be smart on how to apply it. And then maybe you have to find like the spaces in between where the guideline doesn't fully fit for whatever reason. Um, but uh, I often challenged the status quo too much in the hospitals, also, and people told me, "Why? You just need to, you know, rather than complaining, just stick with it for a few more years until you've gotten used to it." And that when I, when I heard that advice, I felt, "Okay, clearly this doesn't fit my personality type because I don't want to ignore my frustrations. I want to act on them. I want to create something better." And and these were the moments where I feel like I slowly started to realize that I don't want to be somebody who fits into a system that he finds dysfunctional, but rather work. He wants to use these insights to to find a way of making it better for many others um, in kind of a
0: scalable way. Um, and that's what drove me into entrepreneurship, really. Yeah, beautiful explanation. And I um, was just thinking towards the end there when uh, I have looked at some of the best, I believe it's the Fortune 500 companies in, in, in the US. <laughs> And a lot of them, uh, at the top, the founders and directors, have ex-military background. So I think what you're saying is quite factually correct. You know, those with a a military background are are, are very, very disciplined. Obviously, a lot of high-pressure situations and uh, needs quick decision-making and to be certain with your decision and whatnot. Um, And from what I read, I'm sure a lot of, as some of the biggest most powerful people in the Fortune 500 companies had a military background interesting I yeah don't know. yeah, so I thought it was quite fascinating as you were saying that um, but takes me to my next question uh you know obviously looking at your career, you can see that it's it's very very health related I'm yeah. um, been a health conscious person myself and really passionate about that area i'm really curious why healthcare what drove you down that path
1: so um, uh, frankly I mean at first it was it was uh, I didn't know what to do so um, I was really happy in in the army this was my big thing and I had this one mentor he was a former sniper and sort of taught me most of what I knew and I was deeply impressed I wanted to become like him frankly (laughs) Um, he was a non-commissioned officer I was going to go for the officers, so it, it, it wouldn't have really matched but Anyway, and um, at some point he asked me. I was I was reading a book uh, by a samurai master, and he asked me if I if he could have it. And I took an ample notes in it, where it was basically criticizing that guy, telling him that sort of he's contradicting himself and so on. I was really disappointed because I thought the samurai were like these great smart warriors and you know people to look up to. But then I was like, oh, actually, this is a bunch of bullshit. Um, And so he took this, my mentor took this book and he read it and came back later and said, look, uh, we need to talk. I I read the book, thanks for that. But also I read your notes and I realized you're too smart for the army. And I know how much you love all of this, but trust me, now you're young, now you find this is all exciting. The moment you turn into your mid-30s, you will realize that this is all way too politicized and that you can't do nearly as much with your talents as you will want to as you should and so I can't give you any advice there what I can tell you is that this is probably not the place for you um, I've been here since I'm 17 so I don't know what to recommend but maybe go study or something I don't know and I'm like fuck you know it felt like Harry and the Andersons where you get like kicked back in the forest and he doesn't get it um, and, and I just wanted to be there all my all my teens were optimized for that career and, and, yeah. and didn't have a plan B um, and so I felt medicine is not too bad. It takes a long time to study, so I have time to reflect on what just happened.
0: <laughs> and I felt <laughs>
1: like this was a major identity crisis for me, right? And then secondly, I thought um, the special forces always need doctors so I can always come back and have a you know plan B. Um, and then finally, I felt like uh, if all goes wrong, I can at least make myself useful. So medicine, uh-huh. you know, is- it's hard to, to do something that doesn't add societal value. And that's also something that drove me to the military. Plus, there are a lot of analogies. You know, so if you are tasked with assaulting a building, you start with gathering intelligence and to get an idea of, you know, hypotheses of where could the enemy be, et cetera. And then you plan your intervention. And it's also very, very honest uh, in terms of outcomes. Guns don't lie, right? Blood doesn't lie. And it's the same in medicine, right? You you start with a diagnosis, you have that body, and you need to kind of figure out what's going on in there, by using intelligence diagnostics. And then you plan an intervention and you do it, and it's also very honest. And I just very much struggle with, I don't know, things like arts, where people spend, like, a long time discussing something that they see in a picture, but I, I can't really grasp it. Um, and everybody can have an opinion, and so, you know, There's not too much room for opinion. Um, Of course, you will have opinions, but at the end of the day, does the patient get better or not is is like the key outcome. And that's quite clear. Yeah. And I like these things, right? I like tangible things
0: to do. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So from your first job, you know, fast forward to today, what would you say is the, the single most valuable skill that you learned from your first career, that you still think about and carry with you today?
1: So, uh,
0: oh, I love your questions, man, this is really good. Appreciate I it. Think
1: it's, yeah, I mean, seriously, um, people look too little at exactly these things that uh, you're looking into, um, especially for entrepreneurship. Uh, I think it's mental flexibility, so which, which means the ability to learn something new, which comes with a lot of discomfort, because you always feel like you're stupid again um, mm-hmm. when you were previously smart in something else or good at something, and suddenly it's of no value. Nobody in medical school cared that I was able to shoot a small target at 800 meters. Nobody cared. And on the contrary, they, they were rather spooked by it and sort of, I'd rather not mention it, right? right. Um, and and now you people really care about my diagnostic skills and, and so on, and, and so there's, there's an ego component there's also this aspect of just like enduring frustration of being a beginner again um and then also having to figure out what are the things that I actually need to learn. So in medicine you have kind of a playbook but a lot of the things there are implicit tacit knowledge. And I think you have that even more in entrepreneurship. Of course people teach you about agile and lean and MVP and I don't know what, but a lot of the day-to-day challenges with staff, co-founders, clients, whatever, is very intangible. And it helps to have mentors who can teach you, but you have to have access to them you have to have somehow access to that knowledge. And and so that figuring out what to learn and then learning it is difficult. And I think the other aspect of mental flexibility is knowing what to unlearn. And that often is much harder, right? Because you might have a trait that makes you really successful in one thing. Being a good doctor in the emergency room means that uh, you have to be completely stable to any disruption and just work disciplined in a highly prioritized manner f- from one patient to the other and switch a lot and keep like the key things in your memory. Um, but you're not tasked with business development because you're just sitting there and you're responding, you're reactive. As an entrepreneur, you often have to be very proactive and create work for yourself and figure out where to go and not just kill the... Um, the backlog of patients, right? But to create the backlog, also for example, and and that that comes with a lot of um, uh, mindset shifts that you need to first unlearn. For example,
0: yeah, absolutely, very interesting point that you made there. So um, let's fast forward then to where you are today at Helitus. So explain to me your involvement there because I know you became the sort of CEO in twenty twenty two, but they were founded in twenty twenty one. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah tell me about sort of their founding and then how what your involvement was initially and you know what you do now with them
1: yeah so there there was a a bunch of of russians actually and a belarusian guy um around a a bunch like three people um including the original inventor of that technology who was the cto today and um and they realized two things. So it's a multi-purpose technology. You could be using it for a lot of different things. We're looking into biogas today, we're looking into automotive and so on. Um, but the big passion that we all share was to go into healthcare because we felt this is where you can really have a very high social impact. Um, mm-hmm. And then they, they, they knew they would need somebody with a medical background to do that, who also has some business savvy. Uh, we had a mutual acquaintance, he put us together Um, and then they brought me on board as an advisor effectively Um, also realizing that the west is a better place to build this um, for a variety of reasons Mm -hmm. and eventually the investors that we talked to they said well we would only be investing under the condition that I would become the CEO and do it full time and commit more initially I was just sort of a part time advisory board member and they wanted to see that I'm really believe it and really willing to push it forward and yeah so I did and here I am
0: well it's always uh, a big uh, educated decision strategic decision to make a move in and commit to something full time so what was it about Alitas in particular that made you think you know what I'm gonna drop yeah. everything else invest in this company full time what was that I
1: mean uh it was I was charmed by this general idea of air as data, and that there's so much more in the breath. So I was in lung diseases before, and up until today, when you do a lung exam, all they look at is the physics of your breath, by and large, with a few exceptions, but they just look at how much air is going through and and how fast and so on. Um, I'm oversimplifying, they're doing a little bit, but there's so much more data. You have more than a thousand unique molecules that you exhale with each breath that can tell you something about what's going on in the body. And although the science is there, lab-based, we're not really using it in daily practice. And, and I felt when I left the hospital, when I left the bedside, I made a promise to myself that I wanted to create something that would allow me to have a, a much, much bigger impact on human welfare than I could have no matter how many over hours and you know, night shifts and weekend shifts and so on. I would be pulling off for my doctor's career and this was the most tangible opportunity that I've seen that I've been presented with where I had this opportunity of doing that um, since um, and then also I mean even if it wasn't I think a lot of people want to become founders and either they really try to force it so I want to become a founder now I need to find some business and then I will build that and then I will create a purpose story around it afterwards to make it to make it nice and then I'm trying to push that through and often these are things that, that end up not being so exciting people are stuck in a in I I don't know kind of interesting business but not really um and maybe they can exit it and make some profit out of it or they're just stuck in it and so I didn't want to become that kind of person you know that mm-hmm. just wants to found for the sake of um, And at the same time, I see a lot of importance in in making that leap at some point. It's like having children or something, right? There's not always the right moment. And uh, one advice that somebody gave to one of my investors at some point, a really successful entrepreneur, um, and he was asked, so, you know, what's the advice you would give to somebody who wants to found a company? And he said, well, my number one advice would be don't be a first-time founder, and it sounds a bit, you know, uh, a bit annoying, but what he was trying to say is just try to get started, know when to end, when to stop, and then keep going. Like take your learnings and, and do it again and do it again and, and stick with it, right? So there, if you want to do it and, and there is a good opportunity that, that gets you kind of excited, I think it's a good idea to, uh, to run with it. And you have to, of course, like the, the people that you're going on a journey with, and it will anyway take you somewhere else, most likely. Um, but it is important to make that jump if you don't want to become a, a entrepreneur
0: for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, elaborating on what you just uh, said about that, that bit of advice you got there. So now that you are the CEO and co-founder of uh, Halitus, yep. what would you say are the top three ingredients of a successful start.
1: Uh, um, I mean, the, the obvious one I'm sure you, people say that all the time is, of course, the founding team. And to the founding team, I would also add the uh, the the early investors. To me, they are kind of like co-founders, even though they don't invest the same amount of time. But they really shape uh, the core of everything. And if if something is not in order there, um. You will struggle on all fronts because there will be distractions when you actually want to focus on something else. Uh, you you will be called out by investors on it. They often would would sense problems and so on. Um, and it it will just always always. Keep it out. I'm also on the investor side, so I've made a bit of an investment myself, and then I'm on the um, board of uh, Speed Invest, like I said. And um, you you do look a lot at the people that you invest in more than the idea. That, that seems like a given, uh, but it's one of the things where it's, I've, I've heard it the most and I still feel like I underestimated the importance of it um, mm-hmm. in so many ways. Uh, the second thing is, um, so we started out on a, on a journey where we said we will just do R&D, create a good product. Okay, now we're in the med tech space, so it's anyway really, really regulated. Um, and then we will have a product in four years And probably we can exit the company even before that product has been sold even a single time, which is not unrealistic. Um, But uh, I think that was a mistake. And uh, maybe it's because of the current funding times and all of this, but generally, while investors do like big grand vision for the future, they also want to see short-term tangible revenues that you can generate. And it's not just about making money. But making money also has a lot of information. It means that you can entice customers. Um, you have understood your kind of go to market. You have a way of getting real life feedback from customers early on, even if it's not the same product that you want to sell later on. So in medicine, the typical thing to do mm-hmm. is you start with a research use only case where you're not so regulated, but you can still give it into Dr. hands and they can test it and then you will get some feedback from that and you can sell that. It's not going to make you rich. <laughs> but, but you have these important early interactions. And, and that's something I would really urge anybody who has the opportunity um, to do that. It's difficult if you're in an implant business, for example. Like if you do neuro implants, you are just bound to long regulatory cycles. But maybe even there you could find something that makes you money earlier. And whenever you can do that, it's not diluting your efforts. It's, it's really accelerating your learnings the, the faster you can hit reality with real customers um so that's one thing and the other thing frankly i mean it's really persistence it's it's um i've talked to hundreds and hundreds of investors i got turned down so much uh i had people interrupt me during my pitches where they said sorry can we talk about something else i can't focus because i keep wondering why are you doing this to yourself you have so many options you could do something so much easier and just get your house on Mallorca or something like that why 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 is something like that why hardware um and the good thing is that among all of these people I ended up finding a league of investors that completely changed my life and and not just because they made an investment and they gave me some guidance no but because we really have gotten to know each other really well we've been working on a lot of different things and I've learned so much beyond the venture about myself, about you know, the whole venturing world, et cetera, et cetera, which, yeah, changed the course for the company, changed the course for my life, and so on and so on. So, you know, there's this saying of 90% of success is showing up, and then 10% is knowing where to show up. And I think that's very, very true.
0: Yeah, it sounds extremely true of what you were saying, especially tying in with one the, of well, the key points you mentioned right. there persistence if you weren't persistent one and two obviously believed in your idea your product your venture the whole way then you probably would not have came across these league of investors and as you say changed your life yeah in what in what way did it change your life
1: i mean you there's a there's a there's a big so one one thing is there's a big risk of being in your own eco chamber where especially if you're a convincing person Um, people would end up nodding and agreeing with you and maybe not just out of politeness but because they're actually convinced but is that bringing you closer to the truth there's a big dilemma as an entrepreneur where you have to uh, balance selling with learning and um, and that's really difficult for yourself because you have to have different mindsets and at the same time it's difficult for the other person because if they've been sold to it's hard for them to give advice. And if they've been sold to really well, then the concerns that they might have had, they they might vanish. Um, the second aspect of it is, a lot of people are giving me advice, but they're giving me advice based on their own realities, which I don't want to challenge, but it might be very far away from my own. And so I had to learn to really understand whose advice I'm taking on board. And this could even be an investor, but then you have investors who are strong from an e-commerce background and their advice does not apply. In the beginning, I was jumping around trying to sort of be the world's most investor-friendly company rather than the most customer-centric company. And and that just completely messed up all my business model and strategy and everything because it, uh, I just put in so much unnecessary advice. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing. And then if you have people that are really, really knowledgeable and experienced and intelligent and and, you know, What's called deliberate practice with every investment they've seen everything they've done every conversation they had they, they put a lot of intention to it and they've been doing that for decades then every sentence is so to the point and so rich of information that it allowed me to think differently about i mean details from what slide am i doing what decision am i making to like the big visionary things um and and to how I structure my thinking, how I articulate my thoughts, who I talk to, where I allocate my time. I think that's a big one. Um, so that's the one part. The other part is opportunity. Um, then if after a while you have built up trust and they see you as somebody with a high degree of mental flexibility combined with an endurance to go through and so on, then then you can be identified as a potential a successful founder uh, for that journey, and then they will have an interest to to promote you further. Sometimes also just because they, you know, they like to help other people on their mission, but also often they have a strong portfolio of people, and then they they can see synergies, put people together, help them, you know, grow. Sometimes a really good investor is like a good HR person also, um, and I think these are the two things: like insights, learning, and or guidance, and then opportunity. Um, as two of the core things. And I'm only getting started. I think the more we sort of... And I'm also creating a community now with my investors and they start to co-invest and so on. So there, there's a whole thing shaping around it where I'm not quite sure yet where this will lead, but I'm I'm pretty confident it will be very, very exciting, especially because there are intelligent people. Plus they have, I think, the heart and the right space and they're really interested in advancing sort of society and planetary resilience and all of this. Um,
0: yeah, so that that also makes it exciting. Absolutely. could not agree more. And it got me thinking about this this whole road of entrepreneurship and inter- entering yeah. such a different world from, let's the sh- the say, normal employment, right? Oh, yeah. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of people fear entrepreneurship is the word failure. From my yeah. experience, and a lot of the people I've spoken to, failure in entrepreneurship is actually one of the best things that could ever happen to you. Again, like, from my experience, I've found that any time I failed in business, whilst it feels like the end of the world at the time, better. it obviously allows you and gives you the opportunity to change things and improve things and create new adaptations that you probably would never have done before. Should yeah. that you know the path continue to be so great, and off the back of that, it always seemed to get much better as long as you don't give up. So. In relation to your life experience your career wherever wherever that may be even if it's not at i was sure. curious when you've had perhaps your biggest setback in case you can think of that how did you deal with it first of all and then what was your protocol to overcome it oh wow man i love your questions
1: um biggest setback so i think um i I think i've always had and maybe that's my early american exposure but i've always had this kind of mindset where i felt like um it's it's rarely a failure it's an opportunity to learn and i love this saying you know where you where you say what you work on works more on you than you work on it so every time you do that you keep growing you keep stacking up skills and experience and so on. You have to be careful not to become jaded on the back of it because um, of disappointments or whatever. Um, but I was always much, much, much more afraid of not having tried something, not having done something than of um, of having done it and, and having made a mistake. So um, that that was that's where it always started from. Um, I haven't had anything in my life where I was truly regretful, where I felt like, I made a very poor decision that led to a very negative outcome. And I think it's really important to not judge a decision by its outcome, but by the quality of the decision making at the time that you were making the decision, given the data that was potentially available to you. And then you can criticize, you can say, look, there was a, there was a big part of information that I could have accessed and I didn't because I didn't consider it to be important or I wasn't aware of of its presence. Um, that would be an element of a poor decision, right? I didn't include enough information, or I was overwhelmed with too much information, then I made a stupid decision, or I had all the information, but I assessed it in the wrong way, and and, and, or I took a a different decision out of for whatever ethical reasons that I had or or whatever it is, and and that did led to an inferior outcome, and and I could have foreseen that. This would qualify for me as something where you can have some sort of a regret that you need to, to think about, but If you, in good conscience, took the best decisions and then something goes wrong, um, then you can't beat yourself up for it. Um, And of course, I've treated patients that ended up dying um, and where maybe in the aftermath uh, we knew more and, and we could have said if this was clear or if maybe they would have come a week before or I don't know, something else, then we could have saved that person. But then I would say, well, but it was at this point out of my power to to do something better, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. so I think accepting that bad things happen in life, I mean, that's as a doctor, you have to accept that before you start, um, uh, that's, that's key. Um, and one thing that I struggle with, which is probably not really answering to your question, but I think that sort of it's on top of my mind quite often is, um, I often really try to avoid failing just because I don't like to fail. And because I have responsibility, I don't know, for investors, customers, partners, I don't know, whatever it is, and I want to stick to my word of I will make this successful. Um, but then sometimes the question is, is the failure to keep throwing good money after bad to keep investing yourself into something? Or is the failure to call it quits and say, okay, you know, this is clearly i I'm, I'm good at running uphill, but I'm actually running up the wrong hill right now. Let's let's reassess and and that's sometimes I think more my mistake that I'm that I, I keep fighting and fighting and fighting, which is what I've always learned to do, rather than to say okay, let's lose that battle, but let's win the war. Um, and yeah, that I mean that's something that I'm more worried about at the moment. But I'm, i f I think I'm gonna manage. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Because you asked no, yes, a slightly it- different thing, but. Th- no, it does. And it mm-hmm. actually made me
0: think of something else. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Stephen Barley, I think we talked about it. He actually said uh, one of the greatest skills of of great entrepreneurs of today is that whilst we don't like the word quit or quitting, sometimes uh, and the greatest skill of some entrepreneurs is knowing when to quit. Doesn't yeah. mean you're giving up. Totally different. Quitting on, let's say, a certain way and trying a new way, because there's only so far you can try one way and it's just just not working, and you need to try something new or a, yeah. a, a a new strategy and you know you see the business of today where perhaps they were running one way, and then you look at that same company today, their brand looks totally different, the logos yeah. name changed, everything restructuring right. in terms of the business, and if they didn't know when to quit at some point, they wouldn't be the monster or a company that they probably are today. So I think there's ah, an art absolutely. in knowing when to quit as well.
1: Yeah. And so I think it's a function of understanding your opportunity cost. Um because you might be doing well actually, right? It might be nice. But what if you would make a two degree, three degree change and that doesn't just set you up on a linear difference, but maybe on an exponential difference. Yep because you jumped on on a new technology that, or a new business model that gives you more leverage or something like that. And I think that's something that, that's, that I recently learned to be much, much, much more mindful of, thanks to some very good friends who uh, gave me a lot of unsolicited
0: advice. Yeah, it's always good to have people around you, isn't it, as well? Uh, okay, so you, you've, as I say, you've been the, the CEO of Helitus now for just over a year and a half by the looks of things. So talk yep. to me about the, where you are today. What's the, what's the term, long-term goals and ambitions for Halitus? How far do you want to take it?
1: Yeah, um, so this is currently being reshaped a lot and uh, maybe in uh, five weeks I will tell you something else. Um, but the way it looks now is we, we started as a hardware company that aspired to build their own hardware devices that you can blow through, and then they give you insights on what's going on in your body. And in the beginning, at least my vision was, this should be like a wholly vertically integrated company. Over time, I then realized, if we start to work on the whole manufacturing process and regulatory approval and the sales and distribution and packaging and everything... Um, it it might very, very quickly overload us. Um, Even if in the beginning we outsource most of it and then we vertically integrate over time, Uh, given the current environment, given how regulated this whole space is, it would dilute our efforts so much that we would not be able to build the same kind of cool product um, as if we would just focus on that. The big, big role model for me is ARM Technologies. Who basically only made money out of IP licensing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they went through the big guys, Apple, and I don't know, all, almost everybody. Um, so that's something that I've been looking at, um, and and it looks good. It looks like we're we're on a good track to um, to get good IP deals with uh, with large players. Um, but now we're very likely to move much, much, much more into the AI space, uh, especially around multimodal diagnostics, where you put different um, sensors together to then get more intelligent answers um, on diagnosis, or you could also use it in other industries outside of healthcare, but being multimodal with a machine of faction focus as the USP versus other companies. Um, And I think like many of the the really successful business models going forward, they will not just be purely SaaS because, you know, there are very influential people saying it's the end of programming. There will be no more programmers. So, you know, we won't even have programming languages anymore probably because we can just tell computers, please write this and this and this, and then they will put it into ones and zeros. Um, And then also what's your defensive mode? Right, Most of the big tech companies like Amazon, Apple, and so on, they have a really strong hardware component. Okay, most of the money is made because of the AI and data and so on, but without that hardware, they would not be able to unlock that. <laughs> um, so I'm interested in, in hybrid models, and I, I think they're, they're the winners in, in many cases, but um, that leads me to like, a completely different story, right? Then we're not so much a diagnostics company anymore, then we aspire to become part of artificial general intelligence where we built one small component of that which
0: is multi-sensory machines and and machine smelling what well, we- appreciate that i mean listening to you sven everything that you've spoken about so far you're obviously a very smart guy and your your cv backs that up quite nicely but what i'm what i'm interested to know is you know up until your appointment at halitus you know you've got incredible cv you could have just stayed what you was doing before but no you didn't you took that leap what what's your personal motivators behind (laughs) all of this (laughs) why do you still get out of bed every morning pursuing this mission which is no easy obstacle
1: uh well thanks for the flowers i i think um i get bored really fast and then i feel physical pain um when i have the impression that i'm not creating something really meaningful uh i get very sad like I'm ritually, i ritually i don't feel well uh when i have the sense that i'm creating something that can have a big purpose even if there's a very good chance of this completely failing which there is um then it's still worth it um and and i recently had a charite professor really really renowned guy coming over and and he said uh look I want to see if we can use this for HIV. And frankly,
0: yeah, I kind of yeah, doubt yeah. that
1: it would work. But if it does, the impact would be so tremendous that I just must try. And when he said that, it just I, I could have said exactly the same thing. It resonated so much. And, and so with this, I'm also attracting people that I admire and that inspire me. And, and just for the people, it's like a magnet, right? For the people that I, I get to be with, that means a lot to me and I'm, I'm a very social person so that, that's, that really matters um, and the other thing is I know and I have a couple of friends who exited beautifully and then they went on a year long trip to I don't know your typical places from Bali to Latin America etc uh, did all their yoga classes and golfing and I don't know and then after a year or so they realized actually I've become a really boring person like I have nothing exciting to tell I realized that my brain is like not quite on on top of things like just an average guy now and then they go back and want to create something that that is really challenging it's like i don't know you go to the gym you go to the gym and then suddenly you keep doing the same exercises you're not gonna grow you need something that challenges your body differently and the same is i think true for the mind and more importantly also for the character um because if, if you don't have adversity if, if you don't get challenged by competition by people who want to support you, um, then I think your growth opportunity is quite quite limited. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I would suppose, I'm sure there are more reasons, but these would be the, the three main ones.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I love everything you're saying there and it makes me think about, I can't remember who I was listening to, but they basically were talking about the, the subject of happiness and yeah. the importance that a lot of, well, most people put on it. But what he was saying is that Happiness is not, not all what it's made up, made up to be because it's a, it's a like, temporary feeling, right? He said what's more important than happiness is actually purpose, fulfillment, yeah. right? So it actually gives you the greatest sense of well-being. So you by you being on a mission, you have purpose regardless of how you're feeling. So if we only did things of, when we feel happy, that might only be seven yeah. days of the month yeah. Right. But if you've got a purpose, something's fulfilling you, you're gonna do it no matter how you feel because people depend on you, and it's gonna give you that sense of youthfulness, even if you are older. Uh, that that thing feeling mentally inside of you. As you know, you know when you hear these fifty, sixty year old on, entrepreneurs that say they still feel eighteen mentally it's because yeah. Yeah. they're still educating uh, and training the brain. You know so that, i found that really interesting that concept um so uh I've, a couple of thoughts on this so my,
1: my dad is a psychiatrist and uh he often had people who were sad and then he asked them why and it kind of transpired that they had this ambition of being happy all the time and because they couldn't achieve that then they felt okay I'm sad because i'm seeing this delta between where I am and where I should be and he told them but you don't understand that happiness by definition is a state of exception so you can't constantly strive for a state of exception that's not logical and just by making them aware of that a lot of people were like okay, okay it kind of makes sense and then they lost their sadness because they just calibrated expectations and, and, and saw beauty also in the downsides and so on yeah, yeah. Um, seems like quite an easy intervention of course it doesn't always work but the other aspect I think is um uh there are so many quotes in and I know you're an athlete See, too, yeah. more athletes, where they you know, they say like uh the discipline is a form of self-love and, and doing the hard things makes your life beautiful later on and doing too many of the beautiful things makes your life hard. And you know, like all of these things, like seeing it as an investment, um I think is is really good. And then another So apparently my painting teachers uh, gave me a lot of life lessons and I realized that later, but in my, I think in first grade, we were supposed to paint and and I left a lot of places blank and then the teacher came and said, look, you have to make sure that you put color on every part of that page. And, And I kind of saw that as a lesson for life because I felt you have these, we don't know how much it is, you know, 80 years, maybe 30 years, maybe 40, you don't know. And and what are you doing with that it's a blank sheet of of paper and you can always paint on the same spot right if you don't want to go further or you can really try to see what if i play with the whole canvas and and i use as many colors as i can what's going to happen and and why not you know all don't know what happens afterwards if something happens afterwards but what you do know is you have now an opportunity to live as many lives as possible to make experiences to i mean Uh, we're probably the most privileged people on in the history of humanity because we can literally fly anywhere at a really affordable cost um get learnings from everywhere there's so much i mean you're creating meaningful content and there's there's an abundance of that uh in so many different ways and and then not use that why why not explore
0: Again, I completely agree with the way you explain the art the, and uh, filling the whole canvas, and uh, yeah. it makes me really think about where we are in this modern world. You know, you hear worldwide people are more yeah. unhappy than ever, yet they have more things than we could ever have dreamed of. Even as little as 20, 30 years ago, we've got absolutely everything at our disposal. Yeah, and I think one of the top reasons for that is because a lot of people mistake pleasure for happiness yeah. two different things right and uh, again i heard somewhere that we need more boredom in our lives because that's where when we were younger we'd be create. when you think back to and when we would- were children right when we were so bored what did we do we thought of different types of games to play out of nothing but because Man. uh the gen z's or the millennials whatever they, they call it uh of today that they've got an ipad in front of them or a phone in front of them so it's brain numbing they're not actually having times of boredom for creativity and like you saying if it's if it's easy and there's no hardship behind it they're having all the pleasure and then they get sad and things are hard for them in everyday yeah. lives which should... I, I think we need a bit more of that in in the modern yeah. day to come back
1: i totally agree and also i think uh so th- that for sure um and often I think there's a lot of pressure because you always feel like other people's lives are easier or there was one shortcut that you missed, you know, oh, mm-hmm. I, I was busy, you know, doing my startup and then my friends all invested in cryptocurrency ABC and suddenly, you know, they're off-scale wealthy and I'm still here. Why did I miss that? I was too stupid. And, you know, now I'm going to jump on the next trend and, and the grass always seems greener on the other side. So suddenly you realize, uh, you know, you should have done real estate. So then you go into that and then you realize, oh, wait a minute. It's actually not quite that easy because there's challenge A, B, C, and D, which I didn't know or underestimated and so on. And then and so there's this lack of commitment really to, to, to uh, one area that you have already built up expertise. Um, and I'm contradicting myself a little bit right now because earlier I said there's a lot of beauty in unlearning and switching. And I think actually both things are kind of true um, but they have to be conscious decisions, and my impression is that often now, when I turn on YouTube or Instagram or something like that, I have so many paid ads flashing up where people pitch me like the secret to wealth yeah. one is on, <laughs> you have to do online videos, the next one is on I don't know do a book and do this and do this and do this, and they make it look easy and I'm not naive to, you know I'm not jumping on it, but I can see how in today's world you constantly get FOMO on so many ways and you constantly feel this pressure of like being smart and jumping on something and this idea of being ready for a long and potentially painful journey, which as an athlete you're very familiar with, right? So beginners, they, they do a few workouts and then they think now something has to happen and if it doesn't, then they, they're like, oh, fuck that, right? Uh, a, a pro thinks potentially in 10 years and, and has the patience and the dedication to know that consistency matters even if nobody's watching even if some other things are more delightful even if you're not really feeling it today and so on and so on and and uh, sort of I think that's a, that's a truth that often gets hidden and I had that a lot and I think a lot of people have that and they still do it they tell people that you just need to follow your passion and then the universe will bend to your will like the universe I I don't think that it gives a shit about anybody, right? It's been there for much longer than we have. It's going to stick around probably for much longer. And 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 why would it? If it would listen to everybody's will, I think the world would be a complete mess. Yeah. And so, and how do you know? If you're 18, I knew what I wanted. Uh, I spent all my teens optimizing for a military career. I was a spooky child. I was spent like I was shooting every day, doing some of the martial arts. Um, digging trenches in the forest people like, what's wrong with this guy I really wanted I know what I wanted and then I spent two years there and the guy that I really trust tells me dude this is not this is not your place do something else you're too talented uh, fuck so then you get there and and I had best grades I was best in class and all this so this was not the problem but then I realized it's just it's just not a match and and so what advice you give people they tell them follow your passion. They don't know what their passion is. They get there and they realize it's it's virtually a prote- your your um your passion, but it doesn't match your talents. And maybe it matches your talents, but then you realize after a while this was fun, but I'm kind of getting bored now. I've seen it. I had that with medicine. I'm like Pff, okay, let's do something else. And and so it's it's really bad advice. And instead, maybe focusing on hey, what are you good at? That's much easier. And you can pivot within that and you can build on that and, and, and ripen that strength further and further and further. And then maybe you also think first, before you think about your own interests, think about where can you add value to others? And mm-hmm. frankly, if you end up doing something well and helping others with that, you will get so much positive energy back that chances are you might actually start to like it and so on. And, and I, I think, I wish we wouldn't be giving this this advice of you know just follow your passion quite as much.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people of today is, you know, they, they, they compare themselves and like you were saying, looking at what someone else is doing, they've jumped on the next best thing. But one of my favorite quotes is, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. And I think that is yeah, applicable to a lot of people. Um, but no, great. I, re- I really have enjoyed everything that you've uh, talked about, Sven. It's been a, a really cool podcast and a great conversation. Thanks. What What's next? um on the horizon for for you and her um the most exciting thing i can't disclose yet um but i
1: hope that i will be able to do it very soon uh it has to do with that machine learning aspect that i mentioned um and uh it, it looks like we will soon be having our first customer. This will be a very long project which will not go very quickly but it will be very meaningful and, and it's super exciting to to get there um so that's great. I have a new book coming out. Unfortunately, it's just in German so far, but I'm very excited about that, where it's about the future of healthcare. Actually, it's about where it could be today, if we would use all the science and tech that we already have without any future vision, and we would just put it in, we could be so much further, but we kind of tolerate that. Um, and I'm really excited to see what the responses will be, uh, how many people will hate me for it. Um, so that's, that's pretty great. Um, uh yeah no i guess that's it I'm, I'm spending a lot of time at the moment walking through berlin uh and just thinking or just letting thoughts pass and see yeah. how to reflect i feel like i'm just ahead of an inflection point where i can't fully grasp yet what's going on it's a nice discomfortable, this, this uh, uncomfortable feeling to be honest
0: no it's amazing spenum thank you so much for joining me on the start of story podcast keep Following your purpose and your mission, um, I'll of course be following you and Helitus from afar. I'm very excited to to continue to follow your journey now that I know much more about you and uh, you know, gaining the new friend in the recent week. So, thank you so much yeah. again, and uh, was a was a pure joy. Thank you,
1: thank you. Joy was all mine, and I'm, I'm I really love your questions, and I'm, uh, I'm I'm happy that you're doing this job. I think it's people need to hear it. Uh, an important contribution and I will be following you closely for sure as well.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Sven. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. Of course, we'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for updates and additional content. And lastly, if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, then let me know. All feedback is appreciated. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.